you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand, that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets, brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Glad to have you with us. My name's Matt Moore. I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. This is your Futures Friday episode. Very happy to be joined today by guest of the program, friend of the program. He's been on with us many times. Glad to have him back again. Alex Christensen of Brown Bag Bets. You can find him on the BetUS NBA show Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Alex, aka Noops, N-O-O-P-S on Twitter. How you doing today? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. It's been a fantastic time in the NBA season. I know there's been a lot of grumbling about who's playing and who's not playing, but we have great games every night. Tons of points, if that's what you like. Some great defensive matchups. And my Philadelphia 76ers playing about as good as basketball as they have all season. And I'm at my peak point of optimism. What could go wrong? (laughs) What could go wrong with the Sixers? Uh, Today, we're going to talk about the Eastern Conference, and the Sixers will play a prominent role in that. We're going to go through kind of a look at the Eastern Conference futures. And at the end, I want to get Alex's thoughts on Tyrese Maxey for Sixth Man of the Year, because five different people have brought it up to me, and I'm like, I have I have very like shrug thoughts on it. Um, we'll kind of get Alex's thoughts on that as we go along. But let's start here with the Eastern Conference uh, at FanDuel currently. Oslo in the Eastern Conference plus one eighty, Bucks plus two eighty, the Brooklyn Nets plus four forty, the Philadelphia 76ers plus seven fifty, the Cavaliers plus nine hundred, the Heat plus nineteen hundred. And then we got teams like the Raptors at 3,200, the Hawks at 32 to one, the Bulls at 100 to one, uh, and the Knicks at 110 to one. Kind of insulting that the Knicks are, are, are that that low. It's not a lot of respect for the Knicks given how they've they played this season uh, and so on and so forth. Let's uh, start here, Alex. I, I have evolved to a place where I am framing everything with Eastern Conference futures through the prism of who can beat Boston. And you can say like, well, that's obvious, Matt, they're the number one seed. Well, like last year, I wasn't like, oh man, who could, who could beat the Suns? I was like, well, there's a lot of beings that can beat the Suns. Um, and two years ago, it wasn't like, I was like, oh man, who could beat the Jazz? That's that's not a thing. So it doesn't always mean that being number one seed is a definitive thing you got to figure out. But with Boston, 
their combination of shooting where the offense is at this year, the switching defense, they are now top 10 and off they're zeroing in on being top five in both offense and defense. Uh, I am trying to figure out which teams are going to have enough on both ends of the floor to match up with Boston. Um, what is your general approach right now when we're looking at capping the Eastern Conference? I think that is a good place to start. You start with the Boston Celtics and to maybe even take a further step back. The first thing you have to do is remember it's not quite February yet. Um, there is a couple months left in the season and then starts the postseason, a whole new different experience. So you got to ask yourself a lot of questions. And I think honestly, the first question after who can beat Boston is, is the Milwaukee Bucks we've seen for the last month, the real Milwaukee Bucks? Is that the team that we're going to see in the postseason? They have been mired in probably one of the toughest schedule spots for any team in terms of road games. I mean, they're on the road basically three out of four games for the last four or five weeks. It's been a really tough spot for them injury-wise. So I still am curious to see what Milwaukee can do. I don't know if there's any value necessarily at their current prices. The market is obviously still very confident in them, but you know, you start with Boston, then I look at Milwaukee, and then you kind of have the next tier of Brooklyn, Philadelphia, and then I'm not sure if Cleveland gets into that tier. That's kind of the next uh, team that I'm looking at here. The rest of the way, I mean, the Miami Heat are like Jason Voorhees. You just can't kill them. No matter what happens, they keep coming back for more and more vengeance. But I think you're right. You start with the Celtics. What kind of team can and bother them? And you kind of look at what the Warriors did last year. You need a team that plays really high-level defense, a team that's going to be able to slow them down because what we see every year with Boston, when they get into these tight series, there isn't a creativeness to their offense. There isn't kind of a spark. There isn't a player who can come in and no matter what's happening, get to the basket, generate some open looks. So as I look at those, and I think that's what makes the East so interesting. The Bucs can be that team. The Nets surprising with some of the improvements that they've made on defense. If Kevin Durant could get healthy, can be that team. And then I'm not sure about my Philadelphia 76ers. The perimeter defense is still a problem. You know, James Harden is you know, not as bad as he's ever been on defense, but pretty close. Um, still some holes there. But when you start to look at those top four teams, I think it really is Milwaukee, Brooklyn, or Philadelphia that has a shot against Boston. Interesting. So I have some some different thoughts, and I, I, we'll kind of go through this. One, you know, this is a we're, we're trying to be an actionable show, right? I want to talk about the Eastern Conference because we did West Conference last week. I'm writing about the Eastern Conference for Futures Friday. Like I will say that for me. The time is not now to bet the Eastern Conference unless you were like, I want to be able to build like a, I want to get the, I, I want to get big numbers right now on a long shot before we get close to the playoffs. That's the only real reason. And the reason I say that is the Celtics are at 15 losses. The Sixers are at 16. The Bucks are at 17. The Nets are at 19. The Cavs are 20. So there's a lot of jostling that I think that we can see between now and the end of the regular season. And a lot of this for me is going to come down to how the bracket shapes up so as a, for an example if the sixers if the celtics finish one like we expect and the sixers finish fourth the sixers are immediately a no bet for me if i have to believe that the sixers have to go through if i know the sixers have to go through boston in rounds two or three i cannot bet sixers uh joel Embiid cannot handle their double teams and al horford is probably the single best defender in the NBA versus Joel Embiid. I don't know why. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Al Horford's a really good defender, but he's also like getting up there in age and it just continues to be a thing. They double him effectively. They know how to mess him up and they have a switching defense to deter Harden as well. So like the Sixers are out if they have to go through Boston in round two 
and possibly like round two before we get to even like stage three, right? I want to put as many teams in front of the Celtics if I'm going to bet the Sixers. On the other hand, if the Sixers wind up with the two seed, which is where they are right now, I think there'll be good value on them at the start of the bracket being like, okay, especially like, let's say the Milwaukee slides down to four. If I can say the Celtics are going to have to go through whatever poor team gets into the eighth spot, right? Let's, let's say right now it's the Raptors. The Raptors decide not to make trades at the deadline. Uh, they sneak into the play-in. They sneak into the eighth seed and they get, they get Boston. Okay. So it's like Toronto and then Milwaukee's in the four five versus the heat. And so it's either going to be Boston versus Miami or the bucks, two teams that have given them trouble through the years, right? Either lost or given them close series. Both of them gave them a close series last year. Now that's when I think I would start looking for Sixers. Like that's an opportunity there. Um, But for me, I, I can't get into the idea of, betting on the Sixers no matter how well they're playing because like they're top 10 in offense and defense you're right like the Sixers team is really good but I have to make sure that there are like if they have to face Boston okay but I want to give myself as much of a chance for them not to face Boston as possible what do you think it makes sense and I like where you're starting from but so I think I would even take that further the Sixers are the two seed right now and if you look at their schedule the rest of the way it's actually fairly soft now they do have three games against Boston that could be good that could be bad but uh, you know a lot of games against lesser teams they've got a couple games against Orlando coming up San Antonio um, some nice spots against Indiana we'll see if they're healthy at that point you know the Bulls a couple games in a row which is always kind of an easy spot for them so I think if you are looking at the Sixers and it's weird because you're right, but we're trying to give actionable information. And in a way, it feels like you're kind of buying at the peak for Philadelphia. We've yeah. got hard and healthy. We've established Maxi as the sixth man, but I actually don't think this is the peak. They have a shot, I think, to compete for this one seed. Again, three matchups against Boston. And the rest of the schedule is kind of tough. And I agree with you, though. You hit the nail on the head. If, if you're looking at a team you think that has a chance to fall in that four or five spot, wait, wait as long as you possibly can. But I think now is probably the time to start accruing some Sixers into your portfolio. The one team that I think is longer that I actually am, I'm, I've been mulling over this the last couple of weeks, and I think the number is good enough. You've kind of like put them out of the tier, and I, I want to make the case for them. And that's the Cleveland Cavaliers. Cavs at plus 900, nine to one at FanDuel to win the Eastern Conference. Because if you ask me like, what teams are going to give Boston trouble? Okay. The easy answer here is like, well, Milwaukee. Like that's going to be the, everyone's answer. It's like, well, Milwaukee. Like they, a lot of people, including me, think that if Chris Middleton's healthy last year, the Bucks win that series. I, I tend to believe that. I agree. I, I don't know if that's the same case this year. Like that's why the Bucks were a no buy for me for about two months. The internal chemistry has been rough. They are in a lot of like trade discussions. They are looking to add another wing. If they can do that, I'll reassess. They've also, the offense has gone bonkers the last two weeks. They're bombing from three and they're putting up all these big numbers. That's promising. I need to see it for, I, like, I need, I need to see the Bucks like just tear through the rest of the schedule offensively. I know what they can do defensively. I'm not worried about the Bucks on defense. They're incredible. Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, Giannis, right? I'm not worried about the Bucks defense. I am terrified about this offense. This offense that every single year seems to have games where they miss shots. I did the numbers last year. They have shot the worst below expectation of any team in the playoffs for the last four years and have been the worst year by year, except for 2021 when they won the title. So it's like, I, I have gone, I have done so many buckets podcasts where I have been on here being like, why do the Bucks make it so hard on me? Like coming on after... <laughs> 
a playoff game being like, well, you just hit your fucking shots that I, I'm being a little cautious. But when I look at the Cavs, okay, took two off the Celtics early in the season, whatever, early season, regular season outcomes don't matter. But the matchup, I think, is really interesting because no team has a combination of both sides to beat up Boston on the interior and perimeter play to be able to score points. The question is going to be if Cleveland can find one more shooter, which is what they're trying to do right now. Like they are in the trade market trying to find that third wing to be able to put together with Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland to solve that small forward position. Isaac Okoro has played well. Dean Wade shot great to begin the season. Karis Levert has had, he's actually stepped up in some games when guys have been out, but when at full strength, he hasn't been as good. I just look at it and I go, the Cavs bring a too big look with Jared Allen and Evan Mobley that can absolutely outsize physical and muscle the Celtics. And not a lot of teams can do that. And they bring a more dynamic dynamic perimeter weapon than the Bucs with Donovan Mitchell, who we've seen go off for 50 in the playoffs, even if it was with the Bucs or in the bubble. So uh, I, I really like the Cavs' chances. You seem to be a little bit lower on them. What's your skepticism with Cleveland in the East? So from kind of a macro standpoint, the NBA has taught us time and time again, there's a progression to becoming a great team. And I wonder if this Cleveland team, this is kind of a year too early. It's a younger squad. You know, you still have Evan Mobley as a second year player. Darius Garland is still growing into a leader. And I wonder if this team has enough experience to get into what an ugly series that's going to be. It's not like the Cavaliers are so good. They could catch Boston, win those two, win the first two, maybe even three games somehow, and really put that series away quickly. I think that's just going to be a battle. And I wonder if this young team is ready to be that good. And at the same time, as much as some of these guys at that small forward position, you know, the, the fifth spot for that starting lineup have been okay. It's think, I, I think it's going to be a real problem spot in the playoffs when your one bad player really becomes in a way, the benchmark for your success. I mean, is Isaac Okoro, is Karis LeVert going to be able to be on the floor and not just constantly get attacked? I mean, just, I can already see the Celtics running screen after screen after screen to somehow get Tatum or Brown the ball against one of these guys over and over and over again. And, I think the one interesting thing about the Cavaliers that you pointed out was they do have some really rare and incredibly valuable things that almost no teams in the NBA have. I don't think there's any team with two top tier rim protectors. I mean, most teams don't even have one. You've got Mobley, you've got Jared Allen. It's a really interesting combination. And then in terms of ball handlers, Garland and Mitchell, it's probably the two best guards in terms of, again, being ball handlers who can create and, and put up shots there. So I think that Cleveland is very good. I just think it's maybe a year too early in terms of the progression of a younger team and then the inability to fill in some key spots. Again, they're always going to have one, maybe two guys on the floor that other teams are going to be licking their chops to go after. Yeah, the experience thing is part of it. You know, Jared Allen's only been really part. He's had two series, but he's only been part of like – he hasn't really been part of a playoff run yet. Evan Mobley's obviously never done that. And Darius Garland hasn't. Like the experienced guys in that squad are Donovan Mitchell uh, and Kevin Love as far as like making playoff runs. And that's just like not, not a lot of experience. A team that does have a lot of experience, on the other hand, is the Brooklyn Nets who, so, you know, I, I was buying that stock and then KD gets hurt and they managed to stay up for a while. And now they've slid lately. They're having a rough stretch of games playing pretty bad as of late, but KD is expected to be back uh, early February before the all-star break. That's really promising. You know, the Nets, it's impossible to get an accurate reading on them. They were so overrated in the market last year. 
And then this year, all the chaos happens and they start terribly. And then they were underrated. And now I feel like they're maybe properly priced at plus 440, where it's like, yeah, no, like they have pretty good odds to win the East. They could definitely do it. Or Kyrie could completely destroy their season again because that's what he does. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Brooklyn Nets? Because they are definitely a team that when I look at the Boston Celtics, they swept them last year. But if we go back, we remember how close that series was game by game, in particular game one. If that goes a different direction, everything's different. And this Nets team is so much better defensively. I think you're right. It's a feast or famine situation. I could see this Nets team losing in a gentleman sweep in round one or winning a seven game series in the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, it's as someone that fell prey to some of the higher expectations last year for this team at their peak, they might be as good as any team in the NBA. If everything is going right, everybody's healthy. They're playing good basketball. I mean, between Joe Harris and Seth Curry, you have two of the best shooters in the NBA stretching the floor out, creating space for Kyrie Irving, who is still one of the absolute elite attackers of the rim and scorers on offense. Kevin Durant, probably I mean, the most steady, safe superstar I can remember in a long time besides LeBron James just comes in, can give you 30 points, everything you need every night. He's been playing great defense. Nick Claxton has been a revelation for this team this year. I mean, exactly what they're looking for in terms of a big guy who can help protect the rim, doesn't need to touch the ball too much on offense, but everything has to go right for this team. If there's even a little bit of injury issues with Kevin Durant, things fall apart. If there's a little bit of goofiness or aloofness by Kyrie things start to really fall apart and then as we talked about at the top of the show it looks like they're going to be in that four or five spot where they're going to have to go up against maybe a plucky young Cavaliers team in round one then have to face Boston and then either Philadelphia or Milwaukee in the next series so you're looking at a team that already needs everything to go right and is looking at a tough path so I think you're right the market has the number just about where it is given the upside I might have them a little closer to where the Sixers are but you know, given how hard it could be, it's just hard to trust them and put your money down at this point. I'll be betting them series to series probably instead of the futures. If the Cavs hadn't had their injury issues, they're probably in that top three slot right now, which is interesting because then like if the Cavs were to make a run here, we're talking about the four or five being Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Brooklyn Sixers, uh, Bucks Sixers, like some combination of those teams. It's like, it's really crazy that we've got Celtics, Sixers, Bucks, Nets, Cavs. And all of those teams, you know, are are in th- in real danger of having to f- play another one of them in round one. So how the bracket winds up really is going to matter um, quite a bit. I, I want to ask this question just because I feel like it's disrespectful not to. The Heat over the little bit, they're seven and three in their last 10. They're now two games back of the Cavs in the five spot, three games back of the Nets for the four. I still kind of think that I'm alive for my Hawks division bet because I'm just like continue to be like <laughs> not sold on this heat team. But look, this, this heat team was underrated last year. The offense I think is definably worse. I think there are trades that might change things for them. Um, I definitely don't think I'm, I'm not expecting to say like, Oh yeah, we should be betting the heat to win the Eastern conference, but are they a team that maybe we need to be wary of when time comes round by round, just based off of their experience and their combination of talent. You do. You can't count this Heat team out in the postseason. We know how great of a Colts Spolster is. We know how incredible of a big game player Jimmy Butler is, but this is going to be a Herculean effort, I think, not even to get this team kind of deep into the postseason, but even get through round one. Butler has been great, but he looks older again this year. Bam Adebayo has hit his ceiling. This is Bam Adebayo. It's a great player. 
He's fantastic, but he is not going to take whatever step it is we've been waiting for him to take to be a top five, 10 player in the league. Uh, the rest of the team, it's a lot of players with, you know, kind of one problem. You look at Kyle Lowry, man, he looks old. I love Kyle Lowry, one of my favorite players, but he's struggling to play more than 25 minutes a night at this point. Tyler Hero offensively is incredible. Defensively is just, you know, kind of a cone out there. It's just really tough to watch. Guys like Caleb Martin have been good. Um, Oladipo is quietly building the case for six man of the year and playing some nice basketball, but it's just a lot of pressure on a team that just doesn't look like it a has the overall talent or B even the top end talent to win multiple series, let alone even get through a seven game series in the first round. So we'll see. I mean, it's Miami. They always have tricks up their sleeve. It's like the wizard behind the curtain. Who knows what they can put together. Maybe they try to trade Tyler hero somehow. I just, I don't know what that move is. And it seems like a lot of people that talk to me about the heat making a move are just talking about kind of the general allure of the heat, not necessarily anything specific. So, I mean, maybe to ask you a question, can you think of a specific move the heat are, are looking at or, or possibly could make a move they could make? I just, I don't see the assets. I don't know what you're going out there and pitching if you're Pat Riley at this point. There's been a feeling in recent weeks that they've decided not to move Kyle Lowry, that essentially that they, they kind of tested the market and that there's not enough interest there from teams I think that can change as the deadline gets closer if somebody really gets urgent. But like, you know, does D'Angelo Russell raise the 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 ceiling for this team significantly? Probably not. Like, do you add somebody who's probably better than Lowry offensively just because of where Kyle's at physically? Sure. But your defense gets so much worse. And now if you play hero and D'Lo, you're defensively weak at two positions. If you play hero, Duncan, uh, Robinson, and D'Lo, you're weak at three spots. Like it just doesn't, yeah, exactly. It just, it doesn't, it it doesn't make any sense here. So I don't think there are so many teams that are interested in point guard that Lowry can get offers and like the Clippers could throw them a bunch of really useful players, but there's not like, they're not sending Paul George. That's not happening. So there's no, there's no move that I can really see, which is why I think we've heard that the Kyle Lowry talks have kind of backed off significantly. I don't think that there's a real option there. Um, one more thing before we get out of here, I want to ask you about this is the this bet, man. Everyone has asked me about this in the last two days. Like this, I've got hit by like four different very sharp betters about it. Uh, and I'm I'm gonna be late to the table, but I'm gonna have to bet it. It's Tyrese Maxey, your Philadelphia 76ers, and the sixth man of the year. So I have like a big position on Maxey doing most improved that got nuked when he got hurt. Uh, uh. And, and now all of, 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 you know, Lori's is popping off and uh, Jalen Brunson and Shea obviously is at the top of that list. But now there's conversations about Maxi. Give me your thoughts on Maxi and his value. He's 10 to one right now to win sixth man of the year and why so many sharp folks are just absolutely diving in for Tyrese Maxi sixth man of the year. So when you start to look at these awards and it seems kind of like an obvious thought, but someone actually has to win every award. Somebody's going to get all these awards. And when you start to look at the six man, Russell Westbrook has been the favorite all year. And with all due respect to Mr. Westbrook and the Los Angeles Lakers, the winner of the six man of the year has out been on a team that's averaged a 65% win rate for the last 12 years. This is an award generally given to the best player coming off the bench for one of the better teams. That is not Russell Westbrook. Now, he might be the best player on the bench for the Lakers, but they are not going to get anywhere close to the required win rate here. You start to go down to the second player on the list, Malcolm Brogdon. Yes, six man. Yes, on a great team, but 
doesn't necessarily have the statistical profile that you're looking at. Your average six man is generally someone that comes off the bench and scores a lot of points. Your Tyler Heroes, your Jordan Clarksons, your Lou Williams. And not that there hasn't been players outside of that mold, but you know, your average six man's averaging about 17, 18 points a game over the last 12 years, with the lowest number being 14. That was Jamal Crawford, only averaged 14 points to the Clippers um, when he won in 2015-2016. So Brogdon, maybe, I think we'll get some votes just given how good he is. But again, not kind of the profile you're looking for. Then you get to Norman Powell, um, kind of interesting, but that Clippers team has just been a mess. And, you know, Jordan Poole's out at this point. He's going to start too many games. So now you have this giant void. And what do you fill it with? You know, Oladipo 100 to 1 is kind of interesting. Um, not sure if Miami's going to be good enough or be able to put up enough kind of eye popping stats, but you get to Maxi. He's 10 to one or better at a lot of different places. I think 10 is a great number and he checks every single box you're looking for. It looks like he's going to be coming off the bench the rest of the year. So that's fine. You don't have to worry about all the games he started. He's going to put up a ton of points like a lot of these guys do. And the Sixers continue to get better. So as you start to look at the profile of the award winners, all the people that are up top as favorites don't necessarily fit that profile. So you have this vacuum. Enter Tyrese Maxey. He checks all the boxes now. You know, I would be betting him if he were the favorite. I don't think I would even maybe make him the favorite. I think Brogdon probably deserves to be the favorite at this point. But if you look at the market, you see Russell Westbrook minus 110. That's a horrible number. You shouldn't be betting that. There's got to be value somewhere further down the board. And I think Maxi is the best case. My hesitation on Maxi is I just, I I feel like this is a lot of trusting Doc Rivers. And what I mean by his that name is, is like, Glenn. <laughs> his name is Glenn. Uh, He's bringing them off the bench now. And as long as they're winning, that will continue. If there's a blip, I could see them being like, okay, got to bring, got to start Maxi for this game. Be like, and then, oh, we won. And then all of a sudden, I just, I do not trust, trust Rivers to play him the requisite number of games off the bench. Uh, there's also the risk of Harden having, you know, missing any more time. He always has kind of like some late season, usually January, February is when he starts to get a little bit banged up. Now he missed time early. So maybe he'll be fresher this year because he was off for a, an extended period in November. But if that happens, Maxi goes into the starting unit. There's all these different ways that it can go sideways. And even then, you know, he's at 16.8 per game coming off the bench and Powell's at 17. So a little bit of an edge there. He's got better shooting numbers. And this is not just me because I've been bet so much on Norman Powell. I just feel like, I feel like I agree with you that Brogdon's the safe bet. We've got the media poll that reflects that. We've got in the absence of, a better player brogdon just makes sense as kind of the vote there uh i think powell is still probably the best value at he's also 10 to 1 i still think that those numbers are crazy for him um i'm hesitant on maxi but i feel like i'm the only one that is that hesitant and it feels like everyone else feels like way more confident that he's going to keep coming off the bench i guess the percentage chances of him coming off the bench are still better than the 10 to 1 value so I can understand like where that kind of gets to, but boy, this sixth man of the year continues to be an absolute mess of an award this year. Yeah, I think you're right about the Harden injury. I don't think people are actually taking that into enough into consideration. We've seen not only how hamstrings can be tough, but his, but I will say, I think you're giving Glenn Rivers a little too much credit for being creative with lineups. He is someone that when he starts to do something, just keeps doing it. So I think unless Harden gets hurt, I think we'll pretty comfortably see him actually coming off the bench. But like you said, anything could change. So it is. It's as wide open as six man has ever been. All right. It's going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining us. You can catch Alex's work. Go to Twitter. Check out at underscore noops on Twitter. 
And you can catch him on the Brown Bag Bets podcast as well as the BetUS NBA podcast Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Great follow, great better, awesome stuff. Thanks for joining me, Alex. Thanks, Matt. Real pleasure. We'll be back on Monday with a weekend recap episode as well as best bets all throughout next week. Glad you guys have been a part of it. Have yourselves a great weekend. We'll see you guys again next time. Till then, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.